your entire relationship with reality itself is is erotic because you've become consummate with re- with reality and so that and in order to do that that requires entering into deep relationship with the people in your neighborhood with cooking with getting a motorcycle like anything that requires a kind of craft the, the yeah. development of a kind of craft is the way by which you become consummate with your reality Hey everyone, check out my brand new episode of The Heart Speaks where I talk to my good friend Idalsa Ness. Idalsa is a master at learning and teaching languages and he developed an embodied, musically oriented system called the Mimic Method to help people on their language learning journey. In this episode, we talk about why it's important to take up embodied practices, especially in our hyper-digital age where we are more incentivized to watch screens instead of participating in activities. Becoming embodied is good for us all, mind, body, and spirit. Watch this next episode to find out why. Idalsa Ness, the man, mm. the myth, the legend. Mm. Tell us about yourself. Who are you? Before you do that, let me just say, let me just start by saying that like, Idalsa, you have introduced me to so many different worlds, so many different like philosophies. You basically red-pilled me into discovering John Verveke's work which I'm a huge fan of. A lot of people know that. I learned how to learn French from you. Mm. I didn't actually learn French, but I learned how to learn French, which is Mm. incredibly valuable. So I consider you my brother from another mother, like such a badass. Okay, now you you speak. (laughs) All those things. Yeah, okay. So yeah, my name is Dalsa and my claim to fame is I created a program called The Mimic Method, which Chloe participated in, where you learn foreign languages. But unlike most programs, I focus on more fundamentals in communication, such as the physicality of things. You learn how to control every muscle in your tongue and every muscle in your face and tap into the natural rhythm and cadence of a language, mimic all their sounds, their gestures. And um, yeah, so that's my main project. And um, I personally speak seven languages. I grew up in the U.S. only speaking English, but always had an eye for travel. So when I became of age, I peaced out to Mexico and learned Spanish there. It's my first language, first, second language. Then uh, went to China, spent like a year in China, learned Chinese there. Then um, graduated university and went to Brazil. And it was in Brazil when I was learning Brazilian Portuguese and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and like Brazilian music that I uh, came up with the Mimic Method. It's uh, very musically inspired. So that was that. And uh, yeah, just been doing, I explored different things about human communication and movement, physicality and life philosophies. Yeah, I'm kind of a mess, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so I want to know more about how when you were in Brazil, what was the aha moment or a a series of aha moments with your encounter with Brazilian music and like the mimic method? Yeah, sure. So, um, so first, yeah, I went to Brazil. Let's start with how I got to Brazil. I was in um, in college. I saw the movie City of God. This is back in like 2007 or whatever. And um, I didn't know anything about Brazil. And I remember seeing this movie in the opening scene. And I'm like, who are all these people who look like me speaking this weird Spanish? And why has no one told me about this? And what is this bomb music in the background? Mm. Like, you know? So that kind of put me on to Brazil. And I started learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that was another avenue into it. So at some point in college, I just became obsessed. And I was like, I can't let myself die before I just fully experience this culture. Right. So that became my wow. college. I need to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like uh, I uh, so I saved up money and just traveled to Brazil. And my thing was I'm learning Brazilian Portuguese. 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Brazilian music. So yeah, I was, uh, so I was doing those things. And for the music part, just uh, I was in Rio de Janeiro and one of the most musical cities, if not the most musical city I've ever lived in, in terms of just, there's just music going on all the time. Everyone sings, everyone dances. Um, I had an instrument called the cavaquinho. This mm. like kind of, it looks like a ukulele, but it's steel string and a different tuning. And I would just leave the house and like just have that in my hand. And then people would be like, hey, come on, can you make up? And people would come and, and I would just be jamming with people on the street. And uh, ooh, one uh, story, you'd love the story. I was uh, walking with it once and these two construction workers were like carrying some heavy stuff into the back of the truck. And they're like, hey, Cavaquinho guy, come here. And then the guy's like, wow, Cavaquinho, you know, I used to play that when I was a kid. And his, and his buddy was like, he's like, man, you ain't play Cavaquinho. You're playing all <laughs> <laughs> like, no, He's like, hey, you mind if I play? I'm like, sure, sure. And the guy grabs it and he's like, oh, what was it again? Like, bring, bring, uh, Santa Maria. He's like, angel voice. And I'm like, ooh. And then all of a sudden, like, his boy <laughs> comes in on the harmonies. And like, you know, and like, oh, my God. I would have freaked <laughs> out. Like, it was beautiful. I would have cried, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, man. And gives it to me. Throw some rocks and they drive off the pickup truck. And I was like, I love this place. Yeah. So anyways, that was the kind of life I had. Like every day, just music. I was in a drum band. Meanwhile, I, would, I learned Portuguese. By that point, it's my third foreign language. I had Chinese and Spanish on my belt. And I, I realized by that point that the key to learning a language was to imitate as closely as possible. Not just the accent, not just pronunciation, but the gestures, like just become those people in a physical kind of way. So for Brazilian Portuguese, I was like, oh, I'll do that by learning the music and like learn how to sing their songs and whatnot. Mm. And um, also when I was there, the, the musical idioms were different from what I was used to. So it was like very challenging for me to learn at first. I joined this drum band. I couldn't like get their rhythm and it was pissing me off. I had a lot of musical confidence and it was like humbling me. <laughs> and like, What is it? Like, how can I get this? So I sat down one day and I came up with this process to like systematically break down and teach myself the rhythms in this drum band I was in. And um, so I did that for like a, like a week and then it clicked and then I was able to play. And then maybe like a couple of weeks later or something, I had this super click in my head. I was like, oh, wait, this process I've been learning using to learn music. I can use this process to teach pronunciation. Because mm. fundamentally, all you're learning is how to coordinate a motor skill with an acoustic perception. Yeah. That's all it is. Same an acoustic thing. perception. Yeah, Wait, so can you say that one more time? Yeah. So a motor skill coordinating with acoustic perception. Mm. perception. So right now I'm speaking to you and you and I are speaking. I'm just making fine motor movements with my tongue and my lips and my throat. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing that with a timing and a rhythm and intonation and all that stuff. So there's a coordination between the nuances of the auditory stimuli mm-hmm. and the nuances of the fine motor movement. But for speech, it's my mouth movement to these sounds. For cavaquinho or violin, which I used to play violin, is finger fine motor mm. on his hand. But it's the same learning process. Yeah. So when I had that epiphany, I um, basically what I did is I like I was on a bus. I, I was like, oh, and I like, really go, like stop the bus. And they're like, it's already stopped. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Pixar moment. And, and then I, uh, I started to like break down these songs into syllables and the movements bit by bit. And then I went out into the streets. I started getting random Brazilians. And I'm like, hey, try this out. And I basically st- like piece by piece teach them like an English song. Mm. Uh, they speak with a perfect accent within like 15 minutes. And then I get like random foreigners and do the same thing with like a Portuguese mm-hmm. song, perfect accent. And I was like, this is it. And um, that was the that was the beginning of like the mid method. That's cool. I'm curious to talk about this with you because we've okay. talked about like embodiment versus mm-hmm. like a Cartesian 
a strictly Cartesian framework, which sort of has this mind body split. And I'm wondering how your coming to the mimic method has like influenced your ideas around that sort of like quote unquote highbrow philosophical, you know, ways of thinking. How has one informed the other? Oh, I mean, it's, it's uh, fundamental for me. The, um, the way I kind of break it down in my own models and language is um, I think about the fluencies, the human fluencies, mm-hmm. and they split into physical fluency and spiritual fluency. So I, I look at the human being and what we are is we're physical beings who have the access to the spirit realm, which is to mm-hmm. say that there's all these patterns that we can embody. Yeah. Right. So in this moment, my physical form is embodying something Mm -hmm. and then you're embodying something. We're embodying it together. And that's how we're able to commune. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's helpful to think about mind and body as a way to like access and think about each one. But you can never lose sight of the fact that it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So mimic method, the idea is you have to mimic and mimicking for me is you can think of it as like you're copying something. But I personally think of it more as channeling something. Mm. So you have Brazilian and they're communing through these patterns, the Brazilian pattern of speech and dance and you know culture. Yeah. And then I observe that through my senses, so my eyes and my ears and my body. And then I mimic, right? Which mm. is that I if I take in that spirit enough, like, yeah, you got it through the bay. And then I'm like, <laughs> huh. And then I start to move my body that way. Yeah. I carry a left brain and then analyze like, oh, no, his eyebrows are off or his tongue's a little bit here. But then I come back to like the bigger picture, right brain. Yeah. Boom. And then I embody it. And then it just becomes automatic and it becomes part of my identity. It becomes me. Yeah. That's cool. The method was my entry point into that mode of thinking in general, for sure. And I feel like, though, that that whole approach that you just laid out is like put it, saying culturally taboo is putting it nicely. Certainly in our conversations in America about identity, like you would be if you were white. Let me clarify. If you were 100 percent white, you would be accused of cultural appropriation, which is like wild because everything that you're describing is like a portal into human connection. Yeah. yeah when that whole debate first came out, I was like, oh, people are passionate about it. I'm like, no one realizes that. Like, I basically my business is. Teaching people cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's yes. what I do. I make money. Yes. Like, yes. not appropriate French culture into your body. <laughs> yes. Oh, terrible. You know, <laughs> French people hate you when you speak their accent so perfectly and know their culture. Oh, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I feel like it's, it's hamstringing us or it's hindering our capacity to like, I don't know, make real the American idea of out of many one. Mm-hmm. Like you can't actually bring that into fruition if you don't take up practices like the ones you're describing, but we'll see what happens. I think we've sort of gotten away a bit from like some of the things that were super popular in 2020. So we'll see. Um, how did Capoeira like affect you when you were in Brazil? You mean jujitsu? Um, oh, did yeah, you do jujitsu? Capoeira a couple of times. So I played okay. actually, uh, but jujitsu as well had a major influence training a martial art. I think everyone should do it, but um, mm. yeah, lots of ways. I mean, the, you're you're with people in the community. And this is kind of more what I'm focusing on in my recent development is communities of practice mm-hmm. and how that's fundamental to the human experience and how I'm trying to create that with my own stuff. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is um, when you have a group of people communing around a shared goal, a shared yeah. word and action. So it could be a musical group, in this case in jiu-jitsu. Brazilian jiu-jitsu emerged from the problem of like, how can I defeat an opponent who's larger, stronger, and faster than me, right? Mm-hmm. And what they do is that, oh, take them to the ground and use leverage. Mm-hmm. So we're in this space with all these people fighting, right? Like you're, it's, it's, I love it. It's amazing. You're with someone and then like, you're trying to like kill them, <laughs> you're trying to choke them out or like, you know, break their arm or something like that. 
and you're going at each other with your full body. Like you're just, everything's being touched. Everything's being, ah. and then you get to a point where like, they're about to get you and you're fighting. You're like, I won't submit to you. I won't. Okay. I submit. And then you tap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the beautiful thing about jujitsu, I love this so much about jujitsu, especially for, for men and women. Like you can have someone like, who takes your back, right. And like choking you out. And then you're like, it's so you're trying to kill you. And then you tap. And then in an instant, the dynamic switches yeah. from more of like attack to like ultimate care. Where you're like, mm. hey, bro, you good? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, yeah. Wow, that was a great move. How'd you do that? <laughs> oh, I watched it on YouTube. And then, so this, uh, this convergence of like violence. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. In, in collegiality. Mm. You know, lots more habit, but I found like in striking martial arts, there's way more competitiveness because like no one get punched in the face, it hurts. And jujitsu doesn't really hurt that much. Mm. So it's the most collegiate, like fraternal, friendly, for men and women, by the way, too. Like I have a... Mm. I put on and she helped her get through a lot of issues she had with like men because it's that same environment where you're like with men and they're like they're literally trying to choke you out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you're kind of like hey great job and then it's like it's it's really on a spiritual level way more than people can really fathom until you experience it so brazilian jiu-jitsu would be the martial art you would recommend to people to try out first like in a hierarchy of martial arts i mean obviously i'm biased but if you're for me if i'm there's a practical consideration of um, if you want to, if you're getting attacked, the main difference of grappling and stuff like that is that you're not striking and punching people. Okay. You know? Makes it a little bit more violent. Getting okay. This is, you're just grappling. I think grappling is fundamental to the human, to the mammalian experience. Like this is mm. dogs and do they grapple? You know? Yeah. So I think um, humans are meant to grapple throughout their entire lives. So yeah. Oh, there's a metaphor here. I just thought of something. So two things. Rafe Kelly talks about this spoke with him on this podcast as well and he was like mm. the importance of how did he put it uh i guess like play fighting in general or, yeah, or rough yeah. rough fighting in general yeah, is actually yeah, yeah. very very important for human development and you are actually far more capable of being non-violent if mm-hmm. you take up this violent practice because it's in a container absolutely you know and the other thing that came to me was that the name of israel means yeah. you've wrestled with god and with man and with prevail so to grapple is like literally built into spirituality at the core of, of our civilization. Yeah, it is not for no reason. Because again, you just, whenever I take uh, one of my practices, spiritual practices, is that I ever yeah. see dogs play fighting, I stop what I'm doing and just watch it. Oh, just, wow. It's like, they're just like, and they stop and then they're like, <laughs> <laughs> they do kind of awkward, like dogs stop it. You know? <laughs> like, it's just weird. But like, uh, yeah. But there's so much going on because you're doing violence. Like you're like violence is like the most important thing if you think about it fundamentally. Mm. Like, that's like the most important base reality as far as I'm concerned is violence. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so you're playing with base reality, but you're doing it with people in a trust environment and love is yeah. super profound. It's super profound. So for sure, yeah. I definitely want to take up like I do uh tai chi right now i'm doing mm-hmm. tai chi i do like a very quick tai chi practice as a part of my morning meditation and i got that from i got that idea from verveki yeah. and you know that's also very reminiscent of like water bending and avatar but i do want to figure out how to take up a violence practice as well for the yeah. specific reason that you're describing i just like time management is such yeah. a i'm also like deliberately trying to collect as many practices as possible yeah like I do Tai Chi. I have a morning meditation practice. I just took this acting class with oh, cool. Stella, shout out to Stella Adler acting company is incredible. Mm. The, their whole idea or Stella Adler's philosophy was like your entire sort of like being is the instrument in acting. Mm. And that, that reframe of understanding acting as 
a kind of modal instrumentality the same way you would approach playing guitar or playing Mm. drums, but like your entire being is that. And you want to train it to be receptive Mm. to the other or to the character that you're trying to embody. So like, that's a practice that I've taken up, but I'm curious, like, cause I know you just said you're trying to create communities of practice and you have your own set of practices. Like how do you do time management (laughs) with those? Or is that not an issue for you? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty like scattered. Like, uh, I used to worry about, oh, I need to spend time doing all the things. And now I just kind of follow my, I just kind of follow what's happening with me in the moment. Like Mm. recently I've been developing a new physical education program. And so I spent a lot of time doing that and that. So yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of, I I travel a lot. So I'm in a country that has like a bunch of cool stuff going on, like music wise, and I'll do more music stuff. If I go to music, I do a different practice. Um, you know, to that stellar Aller point. My general kind of model I have in my head is, I mentioned to you before, the human fluency, spiritual fluency. So the human being is an instrument to channel the spirits, right? And then I split those off into subcategories. So Mm. physical fluency, you have um, manual fluency. So doing things with your hands. Okay. Um, And then you have like facial fluency. So, and then you have um, full body muscular Mm. See, so for me, um, when I think about stuff, I think, okay, I guess I just got to make sure I'm doing all, I'm doing some practice that addresses all these, three of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's not, that's not all of them. So there's other ones, but, oh. but yeah, like for me to be a complete person on a day-to-day basis, um, I need to use my whole body and, um, I need to be doing some kind of like fine coordination deal. Right, mm. right now I'm like trying to learn how to cook. So I'm like doing like knife skills, you know what I mean? So that's mm. like, see. So, I see. Yeah. Just getting better at like a skill is but I, for me, I used to try to bucket up things and now I'm focusing more on just like place myself in community mm. and then develop a curiosity and like, like obsession and love for the thing that I'm thinking about it and doing it all the time, like in the street. Like right now, if you see me in the street, I'm like gyrating because I'm like <laughs> figuring out all my muscles are connected and like, <laughs> yeah. so like I'm constantly doing it without having to schedule it. That's good. I, I, I do think it's sort of like a flywheel process. Yeah, I will. At some point it'll like catch. But uh, community is around people who are doing it. So like I'm going to join a community and then five o'clock, they got jujitsus. I'll show up. I don't got like extra practice. I just need to be there. I think about jujitsu too. I'm, I'm a lazy person in a lot of ways. So like if I go to the gym and try to work out, I can't do it. If I sit down and like the buzzer goes off and a guy starts to fight me and try to kill me, then I have to fight back. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. No effort kind of workout. Yeah. Community, community is key here. I have decided to pursue, speaking of community, I've decided to pursue getting a motorcycle license. Oh, sick. Yeah. (laughs) So many of my friends, including my roommate, Zach, like has a motorcycle. And, and last week I rode on the back of my friend's motorcycle to the beach, which was like an hour there and back. And it was the whole adventure. Like we ran out of gas at some point. And then we just like, what do you call it when you, um, Hitchhiked. We hitchhiked. And it was so fun. This guy in a Porsche ended up picking us up and and like helped us with the gas station or whatever. And there's something, you know, you talked about violence being that absolute like base experience or base experience of reality for human beings. And I feel like when you're on a motorcycle, it's a similar thing. It's a similar experience because you have to be, you have to be consummate with your environment at all times. That's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. It's funny you say that because I've been, I've been thinking and writing about this and I use motorcycles as an example. Funny enough, I've always been very unattached to material objects, but a couple of weeks ago I moved out of Miami and I sold my motor scooter. It was like a motorcycle, but like a 50cc motor scooter. Mm. And I sold it and that was the first time 
probably ever I felt deep sadness parting with a real object. Yeah. I love that scooter. And um, the experience of like, the way I think about it is the experience of riding a scooter or motorcycle and you're going fast. And what's happening is you're using your fluency, you're using your physical capacity to navigate this environment. And it's happening fast. You're responsive. You're like, your attention's like looking for like threats and you're just super engaged in the environment. Yeah. And I contrast that to like being, um, getting around like an Uber yeah. or, you know, where you're going from point A to point B, but you are not involved at all in the process. Right. And a lot of people are getting like electric cars now. My mom got a new car and like these robots have taken over and like <laughs> there's a meme that I think is the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous memes in our society. Mm. That it's better if we're not involved in like life, basically. <laughs> yeah. Locomotion, yeah. we shouldn't do locomotion. We yeah. should have robots do it for us. And as a result, we're atrophying our fluencies because it takes manual mm. flow. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a motorbike, but not to like have your robot car drive you around everywhere. Yeah. And then you have no meaning in your life because part of the meaning of life is actually developing mastery. Yes. I was having a conversation with a friend about this. Do you know the movie, uh, Mr. Nobody? Uh, I haven't seen it, but I know of it, yeah. Okay, so the premise of Mr. Nobody is this guy who basically, for some reason, knows everything that's going to happen, no matter what choice he takes, essentially. Mm. And the conclusion that he ends up coming to at the end is that each choice would have had as much meaning as the other. Now, and I said to my friend, I was like, there's something not sitting right with me. In that sounds like fundamentally wrong. I couldn't figure out what it was. And the problem was, if you know everything that's going to happen, there's no spontaneity. There's no possibility of mastering a craft. Like mm -hmm. there's, if you wanted to play guitar, like how would that philosophy even work with this uh, experience of learning how to play a guitar, right? Mm -hmm. If you know everything that's going to happen, like how can you, there's no consummation with the, with the environment, with you and sure. the environment becoming one, if you already superimposed an end yeah. uh, teleologies. And I find that, yeah, with a lot of the technology that we have, it seems like the value system that we're being taught is to try to control and predict every single thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I haven't seen the movie, so I won't talk about it, but at least that notion yeah. is uh, those two things you said, which is if I were basically omniscient, and then the conclusion is then all my choices are equally meaningful. That's super sinister for lots of different ways. <laughs> And then, like you said, and therefore, why master, why come into contact with reality? Like the way I, the way I interpret all that is our first, our first flaw as humans, especially nowadays is hubris. Mm. You know, we say, what if I know everything? We kind of think we know everything. That's, yeah. how, that's how we make policy. That's how we live. Like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Like that's a deep thing where people don't realize that the limits of their own ignorance. And that yeah. So I know the choice. And then second is nihilism. So mm. all my choices are equal. Is all equal meaning? It's like no, like this choice saves that baby's life. This choice, yeah. is New York, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, but whatever. <laughs> and then the third thing you said, which is the coming into contact reality. If you know and control everything, or then you don't have to. Then you already are reality, which is you already are God fundamentally. Yeah. Right. But of course you're not, and that is why you have to enter humbly into the unknown mm -hmm. and develop mastery. So you can have an intellectual experiment. Like I, I actually really hate those movies when like the guy's like, he's in a fight scene and he's like, if I punch this, then, like, I saw what, like, Sherlock, I saw what Sherlock Holmes. Robert Downey I Downey actually Downey. love Sherlock Holmes though. That's funny I mean, that like, you yeah, say that. Not to the movie. I, was, I haven't seen like the whole movie. Someone comes yeah. on the whole movie. But that scene where he's like, there's a scene I just saw on YouTube where he's like fighting some guy in the street fight or in a cage fight. And he's like, yeah. he's like, okay, I'm going to crack his rib here. Then he's going to respond. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. 
And then this is going to happen, like 15 steps. And I was like, yo, anyone who's ever done martial arts before, it's yeah. ridiculous. Because the whole point, like just Kamaru Usman, the UFC welterweight champion, was like, you know, dominant champion. And then last week, he gets kicked in the face. He was winning that round, gets kicked in the face, knocked out. Like, you can yeah. get knocked out. I yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, you don't, so, you know, martial arts, another reason why you should do it, because it humbles you. Mm. Like only people who don't fight have philosophies like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do wonder though, like specifically Sherlock Holmes, because I do love Sherlock Holmes. Sure. If that is just like them trying to portray a kind of, process by which like a Japanese samurai sword master there's a way in which like if you're I've, I've read about this I obviously don't know about it but like there's a way in which you if, if you master sword fighting in the Japanese tradition you become so one with your environment that yeah. it is the case that you can not see things ahead of time but see things as they happen and so I exactly. wonder I wonder if Sherlock Holmes is like an attempt to like portray that failing maybe yeah. but I don't think it's like them trying to be super analytical and like be because Sherlock Holmes is clearly a flaw a deeply flawed character and that comes out in the film so I do love that movie so I felt the need to say yeah, that point too which is um the idea that um so when you get good at jiu-jitsu I'm not I'm not that good but like uh I kind of, I know what it's like to get better and therefore can kind of project ahead. Mm -hmm. Good. And what happens is in the Sherlock Holmes, you, you plan out a finite path, 10 steps ahead. He'll respond this way. And then I'll respond with this. And then this will happen. And this will happen. Right. And that's like the rational mind. And then where the hubris lies is not realizing that like, there's all these alternate avenues. Yeah. Samurai master, the jujitsu master. The way you train is you integrate yourself with reality. You get so many hours of just crap, mm. God, so to speak, that what happens is that anything, when you're trying to fighting a black belt, you, it's, it feels so, my favorite is fighting a black belt who's like smaller than me and like weaker than me. Uh, so they can't use brute force on me at all. Mm. And you have this interesting physical experience where like everything you try to do is just stopped. Right? Mm. And you're just like, like you're just like <laughs> paralyzed, but not because you're like overwhelmed with force, but because like you want to move in this direction. And then there's just like a block precisely placed. At yeah. that and what it is, is that they in that specific here and now situation, they have an intuitive sense of all the things that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know what I'm going to do because they're not God. Right. But they know how to instantly respond to anything I do with my yeah. mastery. Yeah, and then, and then they do the next one, the next one, so they can chain things together. Mm. And that's what master. That's another thing of what fluency and mastery is, and speech as well. Like, I don't know what you're gonna say next, but like, if you say something, I can respond. So right. That's really, what fluency is about is being responsive to the environment due to like lots of time on the mat. I'm realizing that there's so many influences in our culture right now that are atrophying our capacity to enter into a call and response, like. Yeah symbiosis with the world mm-hmm. and i think about how ironic that is when thinking about like let's say the black baptist tradition here in america right mm-hmm. the use of music and this whole like call and response thing happening between the pastor and the congregation like you yeah. saw you saw it you know with dr king sort of like doing this he would say things if you listen to a lot of his older sermons he would say things and then naturally like the audience would be like mm-hmm. yeah yeah and exactly Exactly. And that there's that call and response dynamic. And yeah. that is being not stifled isn't the precise word, but that is being uh, replaced with this philosophy that says, actually, what we need to do is be very authoritarian about language. 
and say Mm -hmm. what cannot be said and what sort of like put boundaries around specific words that you can't use that's quote unquote ableist right Mm -hmm. and that is dangerous for so many reasons but one of the most important ways in which it's dangerous is it's atrophying a capacity to use this as an instrument right to be receptive and to do that call and response that that's like basic to i think being able to be in relationship with the sacred and being able to be in relationship with other human beings like in general yeah, well, you know, it's just, this topic is near and dear to my heart. My mom's from Nigeria and I mm. grew up in the U.S. My dad's a white American. So I've always been at like this nexus point between like traditional and modern culture. So I've always observed these differences. And yeah, that the, the words I use to describe that dynamic is the participant dynamic mm. versus the spectator dynamic. Mm. And one story my mom told me that I always find interesting is, you know, so my dad went to Nigeria to teach and that's how he met my mom. And he taught English literature and stuff. And my mom took him to a Shakespeare. They're doing a Shakespeare performance, you know, in some, some town or village in Nigeria. And, um, you know, we think of, oh, we'll go see Shakespeare. And you know, the audience sits down in the theater and we all shut up. And yeah. <laughs> do thing. Well, like that notion is just so foreign to like the Nigerian or like, the African mind. So yeah. what happens is like things are going on, very compelling, universally compelling drama because of Shakespeare. And then people are like, eh, don't do that. And then to the point where that's like, amazing. Uh, people would jump up on stage and get involved. Oh, and then, wow. you know, and then the actors would have to like, how do they? Yeah, how do they respond to that? They stay in role and they'd be like, ah, sir, please, if we go. And then like they'd be like, and then they get him off the stage and stuff like that. But like, uh, and my dad was just like mesmerized. He's like, what's going on here? Like, (laughs) the thing was, it wasn't that they were like, oh, these are the rules, let's break them. It's that to them, and and it's so hard to explain to like a Western audience, but like, there is no fourth wall. There's no fourth wall. There's no fourth wall. There's no, there is no separation of mind and body or from earth like it's all integrated so yeah they're there and even like when you speak with nigerians uh, like i'm going there soon i'm learning pidgin english and like just the way nigerians talk there's always like this banter going on where they're kind of like people are like pretending to be angry but they're not angry like eh, i'm not going to do it though you know and, and like, <laughs> everyone's like acting is weird like, yeah like, yeah, yeah super fun and playful and it's it's non-stop and uh Versus the spectator, that's the participant dynamic. Call and response, we're all here together. Spectator, I see the history of our culture over the past, you know, thousand years or whatever, is we're all singing and dancing and playing together. Mm. And then it's like, okay, you guys are really good at singing and dancing. We'll just sit here and watch quietly. Then it's like, you know what? You guys sing and dance in a studio. And then we'll just be in our houses watching on a screen. Mm. Yet, how about we all get our own screens? And then let's just sit here by ourselves and our whole entire physical fluency is turned off. I just passively spectate and then, you know, get yeah. Back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was Wally. That was, that was like the, Wally. that was what Wally was critiquing. That's not um, Wally. Wally is us now. <laughs> we are Wally. That's uh, the movie yeah. It's very uh, <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. It's interesting. Like this gradual abstraction. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, uh, it's interesting. I'm just thinking, I do sit down and watch dance videos of like the mm-hmm. Lit Twins from Paris, mm-hmm. but I am a dancer. And so when I watch it, I'm like, I do, I have noticed, and it's particular to dance. When I watch, yeah. when I watch dancers, watch. it's not that I necessarily move when I watch them, but like I will watch them and then I'll go dance and I will be able to do some of the things that they're able to oh, do. Oh, sure. That's method. But, but I, but that's mimic method. Yeah. That's not like purely spectating. But yeah, and now we have Meta coming soon. 
with Facebook. Yeah. 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 I always teach people, my students, I always tell people, you don't actually hear with your ears, you hear with your body. So what's Mm. happening now, everyone listening, they already have the physical capacity to make the movements I'm making with my mouth right now. So what's happening is you're sensing them through their ears, but you're experiencing them through your body. And that's the essence. And that's why if you can't get the accent and pronunciation, then um, you'll struggle with listening comprehension because mm. making movements you can't perceive. And if you um, put like a scan on someone's brain, say we take two people, you and I, you're a better dancer. So you put like a scan on your brain and you're watching like Le Twins do a move. And um, your brain's going to fire more like in the mirror neurons and whatnot than mine would for because those movements you can actually perform. So you're actually yeah. them in your I body. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying versus like a Wally person that it, it is like it's just like white noise. That's crazy to me. I, I don't understand how do you think we're overstating this, though? Because how is it possible that one would be entertained by just passively watching something that isn't actually registering in their body at all? Well, it is in the sense that um, it is just not with high resolution. So, you know, I could, if I'm just like this completely like, you know, non-moving, you know, person and I'm watching someone, I think like every human being has that like dancer in their yeah. soul. They're going to go away no matter how many robots try to take it out of us. Yeah. And, uh, so like that part of you, like that cl- final center cluster of neural neural networks is like still there, like dancing inside of like, the other person. Like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And then, uh, but of course, the person who actually fully embodies that spirit yeah. is going to notice like it's going to be way more, dude, way more real. And that's the thing. I put that hierarchy there. I'm like, it's better yeah. to know how to dance than to not know how to dance. Call me ableist, but it's just better. <laughs> not just for you, but for me, because I'm going to watch you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the work of Jordan Hall? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I love Jordan Hall. So I just started getting into his stuff. Yeah. And I, cause like, obviously I was into Verveke and I was like, how do I, how do I like steal the culture and scale theory of enchantment? And like, then I started watching Jordan Hall and, and I, th- there was a switch that went on within me that was like, I went from this idea that as I get older, I want to like live alone and be more independent. And cause now I have remains. And then it switched to, oh, wait, I actually want to be in community. <laughs> I need to be in community. I need to be local. I need to be in community. I need to develop communities of practice, like you're saying. So I'm trying to, I'm taking the time to develop and figure out what that even means. Do you have any ideas on how to steal the culture, given your range of experiences and these different avenues? Well, I go to Jordan Hall. One thing he said, I heard him say like maybe a few years ago when I was trying to make sense of like COVID and what my, like society and that stuff. And he said that uh, society is a simulacrum of community right Mm. community is the actual base experience that we have as humans and then we've got these much more complex societies um that had an impact on me and my my thinking and um i've that you're talking about being alone and in like you know cooking your own food and stuff like that and you're getting to something which is important which is the sense of um self-reliance but we have this false dichotomy between like self-reliance and other reliance Mm. Uh, in reality no one's truly self-reliant um, you always rely on others. The real thing to look at is the distinction between communal reliance and institutional reliance or societal mm. reliance. So, for example, I can rely on Uber Eats to deliver my food, or I can rely on my friend to like make me food, and then yeah. she relies on me to like do her taxes or something like that, right? So, I when I, again this analogous to this movement from participation to spectator. Mm. 
Mm. What's in tandem is this movement from communal reliance, so relying on people who are local to you, your family and your network. And then we can operate at a much higher level of scale and complexity if we don't limit ourselves to our kin networks, to our local physical networks. And now I can cooperate with somebody in, you know, China to make my clothing and I can, I don't know these people. So we're getting hollowed out because I'm relying on strangers and robots Mm -hmm. to serve my essential functions in life. So what I'm trying to work toward is creating, you know, for myself relationships where another way of putting it is a separation between the practical realities and relationships. So I can Mm. be friends with you and hang out with you, but I don't depend on you for any practical need. That's the problem. Because I don't depend on you for a practical need, I don't have a strong incentive to work through all the very difficult challenges there are in like living in community and relationships. Yeah, and and relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm focusing on now where it's like, yeah, I can hang out with people I like and stuff like that, but like I need to place myself in situations where I just rely on this person. Yeah. For my day-to-day, you know. I actually started introducing myself to more people in my neighborhood <laughs> these mm, past nice. few weeks, yeah. just as a basic, you know, yeah. tinkering with that. And so, yeah, I think that's really important. And part of, I think my analytical brain was very avoidant of that for whatever reason. Mm. Uh, I, my analytical brain is more comfortable with that separateness. Yeah. But my uh, right brain actually craves it and depends upon it and needs it. And I've been studying a lot of Jung and the masculine and the feminine. And, you know, the feminine in particular is all about being with what is. And I think this is this is another way to say being consummate with reality itself. Um, if you If you think about studying the notion of eros, right, as an archetype. Mm-hmm. And this dovetails with ideas in tantric Buddhism and the transmutation of desire and what I've learned from studying all these things is like the goal, the ideal is to go from seeing the erotic as like, you know, erotically desiring a man to your entire relationship with reality itself is, is erotic because you've become mm. consummate with, re- with reality. And so that, and in order to do that, that requires entering into deep relationship with the people in your neighborhood, with cooking, with getting a motorcycle, like anything that requires a kind of craft, the the development of a kind of craft is the way by which you become consummate with your reality. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you though, because you're constantly traveling, does travel give you a greater temptation towards the sort of I'm depending upon strangers or do you deliberately dive into a community even when you're traveling and make sure that you're like soaking up the you know the indigenousness of the community itself yeah for sure you know when I originally was traveling with the purpose of learning a language I would go to a place and spend several months to like a year mm-hmm. in that place and then like my purpose and my art my craft was I show up to a place where I knew absolutely nobody. And then, you know, by the end of the year, I'm like the king, you know, that's yeah. kind of like people like, hey, that's so yeah, it's the bay. you know, like that's kind yeah. of like what the thing was. And it's a very, I learned a lot of social fluency skills in those processes. So I'd integrate myself with the community, with the culture. And then because I was too hyper novelty seeking, perhaps mm. I want to do it again. Let's try yeah. it again. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, so I know at this stage of my life, I'm 34 and that was my, in my, for most of my twenties. So I had lots of enjoyment in my twenties kind of pursuing diversity. And then towards the end of my twenties, you know, like the, I started to, to lose the sweetness and savor, so mm. to speak. And I got like jaded uh, by just traveling around all the time, but now my habits are still in place. So I'm like kind of screwed where, um, so, you know, <laughs> what I'm working toward, like my ideal future is one in which I am embedded within an existing uh, traditional community structure 
probably mm. African origin. I, if not in Africa, then in Afro America, like in Brazil is probably where I'll probably end up in. Mm. Uh, and then I have on layered on top of that, my communities of practice. So, you know, I have my school and I'm contributing, um, teaching people stuff, learning things. And uh, yeah, my day-to-day life. And of course my family, that's the, that's the kind of anchor piece of all of it. So um, yeah, so I'm, I'm done traveling. Like I'm traveling now more for practical purposes. Like I'm mm. in Scotland out to visit a friend i'm going on a like a vision quest in the highlands and then Mm. for a month to train some people and stuff so it's more like practical but what i'm building towards is like enough of this travel nonsense like i want to spend most of my year like on my land (laughs) (laughs) that's cool i really respect that i would love to okay so i know you're gonna stop traveling soon but if you are planning on going to africa or brazil let me know because i would be interested in traveling with you and see okay. the world through Idels' eyes. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> that would be epic. I remember the last time I saw you in New York and we went to a daybreaker and then we were like on the subway. Oh, this is when I was trying to learn French. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your method. And we parted ways and then we saw each other again. And oh, yeah. I was I was listening to Stromai and yeah. you're like, what are you listening to? And then I took my earphones and I put it on and you're like, yeah. It was so, such a moment. And I feel like that was just a, a sliver of seeing the world through Del Cesar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one time in Montreal, Stromai did a, he did a concert, but he was like, the song, he's like kind of drunk, pretending to be drunk. So he was on the Montreal Metro, yeah. like drunk, and then he kind of comes and then it was like a spontaneous thing. So literally I was like following yeah. Stromai in the street. I'm like, yeah. So, yeah that's that's kinda, so cool. Yeah. I, I think at some point for sure I'm going to do that. Like when I'm, the stuff I'm building towards now is making things more embodied and experiential. And so working towards like people come to a physical location where that language is being spoken and like we guide you on an adventure. Like, yeah, that's I about. would pay good money for that experience. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a market. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I love, man. I just love sending people into the unknown. Like if I boil down what it is I'm like born to do, it's like equipping people with like the fundamental tools that they need yeah. to embark on a journey of their own into like the wild into the unknown yeah i just love like i hate i personally when i see people stuck in their wally chairs and like being protected and safe and blah 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 like a deep like archetypal soul level like of who i am it just like infuriates me yeah (laughs) grab them all pull them in a helicopter and just airdrop them into the jungle someplace (laughs) wait speaking of do you know the show alone oh i love i saw one season of it and i loved it that's literally what they do (laughs) <laughs> yeah i loved it i don't like the ones like the naked and afraid ones where they kind of like yeah. really, like, weird people and they make fun of them but those guys are experts they're masters of the craft and like yeah that's like, like again become consummate with reality yeah. itself yeah. such I've a like, wow i've been getting into like wilding and like i did like mm. COVID. i got really into nature and like i'd spend a lot of times like by myself in the woods like while everyone's like inside like all the anxieties palpating out of the computer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's hugely therapeutic for me. I would just like mm. leave everything, go in the middle of the woods by myself and just like hang out there, like dancing naked in the woods. Like, hey, you know, people are like freaking out in COVID. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <the> squirrel's at. <laughs> I see you, squirrel. I see you. <laughs> I see you, squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I haven't gone that far yet, but maybe one day. <laughs> right there, just waiting for you. There's a whole force that is waiting for us to dance naked in it. Like, no one's going to stop you. Yeah, I'm making it a goal of mine in the coming months and weeks and years to just do more of those of those things. I've definitely like since I saw you, I've definitely cooked more. For example, nice. more than you know, ordering out, more than Ubering eats. So it's interesting. I'm interested in, in the, sorry, my email is going off. Sorry, guys. The etymology of words. Yeah. And, you know, Verveke introduced me or intrigued me about that. My English teacher from 10th grade introduced me to it, but like Verveke reawakened and reignited my love for it. Yeah. And if you think about the word alone, the Jungians mm-hmm. say that the original meaning or source of that word was actually all one. Oh, wow. And so we talk about that balancing or figuring out the tension of the opposites, right? Whether physically and something like functional patterns or spiritually and harmonizing the masculine and the feminine within you uh, or mentally right and left brain, right? Master and his emissary coming together. Yeah. Like that is now my framework in figuring mm-hmm. out how I can be alone in the sense of how I not dispensing with community, but how I can be all one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, um, so I, so I said, I got into being in nature and it's interesting because we think about being alone. What you're saying actually is that you're not around human beings, right? But another thing I realized in my whole getting into nature stuff was that the being in like the woods, yeah, not alone, just squirrels there, there's insects, it's like it actually teeming with yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a massive difference between being alone in a building, like your bedroom, mm. and being alone in the woods. Because in a building, what you're surrounded by is dead man. Right, dead man-made <laughs> object. Right, like it's like this table, this wall. I see. It's their constructions. It's like the it's the father. It's like, but it's like the dead father, so to speak. Right? <laughs> Jordan Peterson. <laughs> uh, whereas when you're in nature, literally yeah. everything in your field of view is like organic and living and tea. yeah, and it's and like psychedelic. Psychedelic, yeah. It's like yeah, a different effect on your psyche. So mm-hmm. I realized that like being alone in like a dead person is different than like. <laughs> Being alone in with a corpse, being of the earth. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing. People, oh, I'm so alone. And I'm like, oh, go into the woods. Like, oh, I don't want to be alone. It's like, you're not going to be alone. You're be yeah, alone. yeah. 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 That's a great point. The, the, the title of that show is kind of a misnomer. Oh, alone. Well. <laughs> oh, but not according to your etymology. Right. You're, right. You know, yeah. All in one. Yeah. Yeah. All one with the rest of the universe, so to yeah. speak. Have you been reading any interesting books lately? Um, I think I don't really read. I do audiobooks, so I've been mm, all right. Uh, I've, been doing, I've been going through Body Keeps the Score, which has been really. Oh good. yeah, I started that a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And um, yeah, I've actually been doing too much. I've been I've been going deep on like learning anatomy and physiology. So most of my off time has been spent just like literally just staring at a map of the body and like <laughs> my body around. So yeah, I can't think of what I'm reading or listening to right now. I don't know if you want to get into, I don't know if you want to uh, talk about functional patterns. I, I I am enjoying it. I know you've sort of had like a, you've sort of went through it and now you've, you've leveled up to a different thing. But um, I say that because my trainer is always telling me to get this map of the human body. And I'm like, mm, that's a little creepy, <laughs> but. Well, that's my thing now, basically. Uh, so yeah. So functional patterns I uh, did at the end of last year, 
to fix my scoliosis. And the main thing I learned from the first week of that is the goal of your fitness exercise program should not be to like get this muscle strong or this muscle flexible. It's to integrate your entire structure. Mm. And the idea of integrity or tensegrity like blew my mind. So functional patterns is a method for achieving that. A few months ago, I kind of stumbled upon my own methodology for it. And that's what I've been developing for the past few months. But one piece of it is I call it fiber. It's called fiber fluency. Mm. And the idea is that uh, fluency in general, whether it's language or anything, the world reality exists as like a network. And so like the mm-hmm. French language, there's this network of words and meanings. And what it means to be fluent in that network is to, I can show up like a samurai master. And because the network is embodied within me, I can navigate and mm. my agency. Internalize goals. the network. Yeah. Internalizing the network. That's what fluency is. So, so fluency, agency is a measure of your capacity to get things done, achieve a goal within mm-hmm. the network. Fluency is a me- measure of like how wide reaching you can achieve, how many goals you can achieve and how quickly you can do them. Mm. So I might have basic agency in French that I can like order food at a restaurant, but fluency is like, I can do anything in French. <laughs> so anyways, your body is a network. Your muscular skeletal system is a network and all your pain problems and all your strength and weakness problems are boiled down to what's happening in that network. And my issue with functional patterns is they had a good process for you physically like integrating, but they're trainers, they're physical trainers and they're not teachers. I'm a teacher first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out like what's going on and how it's happening and no one, no one was able to like explain it or teach it. So I learned it myself and now I'm developing a process where you do my program and by the end of it, you'll just know I can be like, Chloe, how can you get from your scapula, your right scapula to your like left toe? And you're like, go through this. <laughs> and then like, you just like see the network in your mind and you feel it in your body. And oh, interesting. Yeah. So when is that going to be done? Uh, so I'm going to Portugal now. So I just more or less finally mapped out, not the whole thing, but like 90% of the muscular cells in my own body. So mm-hmm. I've networked a large percentage of the body and now I'm like, running faster I can, like, <laughs> I can do i never knew how to do striking i'm like shadow boxing like super mm. fast I'm, like getting kicked it's crazy that's it's, cool it's up like the matrix i have like superpowers and um anyways so i was focusing on myself for the past few months just to like, get the basic map now the next stage of the mastery for me is uh teaching because when you teach something you that's the way you really master it mm. so unfortunately i got a bunch of people lined up and i'm just trying to spend as many hours as possible just transmitting what i know mm-hmm. to people getting that skill inside of them and so i'll be doing that for the month and then in the process of that i'll produce the first kind of artifact like uh, Mm. my curriculum and like database so probably like in um october i'll have something like just published that like it's because it's very complex and you need probably guidance but i want to i like my general business model is i put everything out there for free same for my language stuff Mm -hmm. i put everything out there for free for those individuals who like can go deep on their own. Um, and then I do like cohort training and one-on-one training around that curriculum sure. as I continually develop the craft and make it better each time. So I think I have like V0 of the curriculum up by October after a month of just like intensively trying to... Because exp- you have to teach someone a bunch of times before you know how to put it into like a dead artifact that yeah. will be someone you're not interacting with. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. That's so interesting. That whole process. It's, it's, I wouldn't see it as a dead artifact. I would see it as a symbol. Of course, it could become dead if, if people lose. You yeah, know. I don't use dead. I don't use dead pejoratively. It's just like, you know, like this, this wall's dead. Like it's not a, <laughs> just like dead, dead. Maybe a better way of saying it is that it's unresponsive. Okay, I see. A teacher's responsive. I can see you're not getting it and adapt my strategy. Yeah. Whereas my online course is not going to be like, maybe in the future when the AIs are like scanning your face, but I'm not about that life. <laughs> I don't think that's well, possible. Yeah, I see you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> 
Would you like me to call the authorities? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's actually possible because of 4E Cogsai, but be, like because AI isn't embodied, fundamentally, it won't be able to like really figure out when you're not being able to comprehend something. Well, um, you can do it like if like I give you a test and you answer the test wrong. Yeah, they already have that kind of smart learning act things where there's some kind of knowledge and then you answer the questions wrong. They take your wrong answers and then like give you lessons based on those wrong answers. Okay. Yeah. So technology is really is getting more and more. But that's different from like looking at your facial expression and being like, I can oh, see yeah, that you're no. not. Dude, they have technology now that can predict with high accuracy whether or not someone is depressed or just by looking at eye movement scanning. So you put a camera on your computer and then it looks at your eye movement and they're like, yeah, he's oppressed. And like, uh, yeah, they use that in China, man. You may look into China, like the surveillance in China, especially in the Xinjiang region, they'll scan people's faces. That's wild. Emotions and like, yeah, dude, technology is, we can do a lot of stuff with technology. And that's why I'm a Luddite. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to resurrect the Luddite movement. That's what I'm about. Do you think we'll be able to get to a place where we can, if we be, if we take on this project of being becoming consummate with reality itself, we can like bypass or trick the machines essentially? <laughs> yeah, well, essentially now that you're saying it, the that phrasing of consummate with reality, I think we have two choices, all of us at any moment in time, and it's to become consummate with the machine or become consummate with reality. Mm. And, uh, you see what I'm saying? And so when you go in there and you're like, you're learning how to cook, you're learning all that stuff, because it is a fluency to learn how to use Uber Eats, to learn how to like, you know, yeah. Gymnasium press the button. <laughs> yeah. And the whole point though, is that the machine is not reality and it's getting more and more powerful and stuff, but it would never be more powerful than reality. So my person, me personally, I want my body my senses and my soul and mind to be shaped by mother nature and not yeah. by like a robot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's going to be a split. There already is kind of happening one where you have, you see in the mm. movies all the time, it's a common theme. You have like a Borg type people who like become like, like you know, like the Wally, the Borg, you know, the Matrix is like, you're just a cell basically, yeah. you're just a creature and you're not, there's no autonomy in you. And then you have like the Ewoks in the jungle. And I made my decision a long time ago that like, if it comes to the point where like the machines come in to destroy it, I'm going to be there in my loincloth, like freedom. <laughs> like, I'm ready to die for that. But uh, yeah, yeah so the tree, I'm going to be a tree person. I'm going to be an Ewok. That's my goal. All right. Definitely getting more ideas here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will leave it at that. I want to talk to you at a future time about DJing and music, but mm. let's, let's leave it at that. Something to think about in the future. Something that I'm grappling with. I want to be, I want to, DJ for massive amounts of people. What mm-hmm. is the role of someone whose, I guess, gift or goal or offering? What is the role of someone whose offering it is to provide people with music? And how and how does one make sure that they are shamanistically integrated such that they can offer this to people? Because I've been to venues and such that are just like not it and there's like thousands and thousands of people in and the artist or whatever the energy is just like not on the right vibration and it's such Mm. a missed opportunity because obviously music can heal people yeah for sure so dark shamans and light shamans you gotta oh um for next time for next time (laughs) (laughs) thank you Delsa. yeah for sure for coming on the heart speaks podcast thank you for having me i had fun